<laughs> this is this is Janice. And I'm Zainab. And we are the London Girls. We listen to the London Girls podcast. This is episode nine, I take it. Yes, it is. <laughs> episode nine and the first episode of 2017. Woo woo. Exciting times. <laughs> I'm glad we made it to 2017. Because the end of 2016 was looking very peak and yeah, bleak like and end of world type stuff it looked crazy really one death after the other yeah i think the most unexpected death for me was george michael because <laughs> yeah. i just did not see that coming at all i know no indication but apparently um, he did have some sort of illness or something yeah but i guess it wasn't kind of being spoken about in mainstream news like oh you know George Michael is, is not very well. He's at risk of maybe not recovering. There was nothing like that. There's no indication mm-hmm. in mainstream media at all that that was happening. So it was a shock. Definitely. Complete shock. And then I realised how, like, I drive past his home all the time. Oh, yeah. And I live in the same know. area. Yeah, I didn't even know. And it's like, we always drive through there to get to and from, like, Parliament Hill. It's near Parliament Hill Park. Yeah. In London, North London. And... I didn't even know that I saw all the flowers outside. I, oh, it really hit me when I saw that. That's really sad. Because he lived so close. He yeah. lived so close. Yeah, it was so sad. It was so class sad. And then obviously, um, it was a huge feature of the Grammys this year yeah. as well. I didn't um, I didn't watch all of the Grammy performances, but I did see a clip of Adele starting over because she wasn't happy with with the with the performance yeah I, I don't even know what song she was doing um faster love and if you're looking for faster love da, da, yeah yeah da, that one i see um but she was doing a rearranged version of it okay with strings oh. um and it looks like it and it was slower as well and it looks like she she started on the right note but as it transitioned into like the pickup bit, she felt she was out of tune. Right. And obviously, she, you know, last year when that happened to her at the Grammys, she just continued through it, and it was terrible. And she was like, "No, not this year, not today, Satan." So she, I'm gonna get she it restarted right. Restarted it. Yeah, and I did see like everyone was really understanding, um, but in the clips I saw on the TV, there was one clip of one dude who was like, nah, you don't do that. He, he, I don't know who he was. I think he might have been a music guy. I don't know who he was, but his face was like, I don't like this. He wasn't like, he happy with her this. starting over. He was over. not happy with it. Like, he really didn't look... He, he looked like, yeah, all the, the, the singers I've known would not have done something. Like, so it was quite a judgmental look. I don't, I don't think it's that bad. Footage, I don't think it is either, but... I guess because she, she kind of she swore as well. Maybe some people were like shocked by the swearing. I don't know what he was shocked by, but he looked visibly displeased with her restarting. But everyone else was pretty much very understanding. If you've ever if you've ever seen Adele's any of Adele's live performances, just how she conducts her stage. Sorry, just how she conducts herself on stage. She's very real, and she takes her music very seriously. Like I've been fortunate enough to watch. Adele Soundcheck and she is a professional forget the swearing like that's just swearing like we all swear but she's very professional when it comes to her her music career so for me I just I actually respect the fact that she wanted to start over because she wanted to get it right I don't understand how that can be seen as a bad thing 
Exactly, and then there were um, other tributes as well. So John Legend, he started... Um, did, sorry, did you actually watch the whole thing? No, it was so late. You know what, I watched... Bef- I got out to Beyonce's performance, and then after that, I was just like, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm going to bed. I think it was like 2 a.m. in the morning or something. I was really, yeah. really sleepy, but... As soon as Beyonce exited the stage, my eyelids were like, nah, fam, you need to sleep. <laughs> you need to go to bed. That was a nine-minute performance. I mean, I, I, I've told you before, I, I don't care to watch award ceremonies. I can't watch the Oscars. I haven't watched the entire Grammys before. Mm-hmm. So what I did this time is I recorded it on Sky, on my Skybox, and I watched it fast-forwarding through the bits they weren't interested in, basically. Yeah, there's a lot of boring bits. Yeah. A lot. But I think it was heavily edited, the one I was watching, because Solange wasn't on it, um, the one they, that I watched. They do edit, um, f- like, for when it's been broadcasted to television, there's quite a lot of things that are edited. But just the Grammys in general is a heavily edited award ceremony. Like, there's a lot of Grammys that get given out that don't actually make it to television for even the American broadcast. Like, for certain genres that, like, let's just say world music, that America probably just doesn't really care too much about. They Oh, I didn't see any world music on mine either. They they actually do give out those awards, and then they go on to then start the proper, proper show. Mm. Like, they, they sort of get that out of the way first, and then they start, like, this ceremony, which is... Yeah, I suppose the thing is, if they were going to include every genre, everything, every act it would be like a five six hour affair and no one's really got yeah. time for that yeah no i agree um but um another thing that another part in terms of the you know remembering 2016 it was john legend um performing with um cynthia erivo i think is how you pronounce her name isn't she a british artist she is and i actually saw i basically i was on the bill at jazz cafe one time mm-hmm. and she was on the bill and i saw her sing live and i remember thinking this is the most vocally perfect performance I've ever seen really and then she went yeah she, she was amazing live and then now she obviously she went on to be in the colour purple what um, in America um yeah on stage of Broadway that's what she went on to so she's a stage uh performer basically a Broadway performer now that's amazing and she's also I think she's about to star in some film as well I don't know what the film's called but she was on stage with um John Legend doing the in memoriam uh tributes basically and it was just showing all the people that died throughout 2016. Oh, that's um, sad. All the producers, music managers. and Prince. A, a really long list. And I actually, a Prince, obviously, yeah. <laughs> George Michael was in there. Debbie Reynolds was in there, obviously, because of Carrie Fisher. She died, like, the day after Carrie Fisher mm-hmm. died. Um, so it was just, yeah, it was, a, it was amazing, all the loss that was there, basically, especially in the music industry. Yeah. Huge amount of loss. But do you think um, that her, this Cynthia lady, do you think that her career has definitely catapulted since she's gone overseas? Because I, I, I remember hearing her name like years ago um, as a singer here, but it's like she's become a lot more popular and a lot more successful having taken her career abroad. Well, I mean... It, yeah, it has worked for her a lot. Mm-hmm. But from when I saw her on stage at Jazz Cafe, I knew this woman is a star. She has when talent. When I saw her, yeah. It was amazing. And she was actually in an episode of Chewing Gum. 
You know the um, really? last series? Yeah. Because I think she's friends with Michaela Cole. That's what it oh. looks like. Well, and don't... Like, Michaela has a theatre background as well, so... Exactly, it would yeah. Make sense, yeah. Exactly, so she's got that link. And actually, Michaela did a post about her. About... There's actually a... She, on her Instagram, or maybe it was a Snapchat story or something, about how, you know, this woman... I think she was talking about her move to America, basically, about how talented this woman is. Mm-hmm. She was not even on the radar in the UK. Yeah. She's gone to America and blown up and she was singing all the Oscars like this is week. this is what I'm thinking like Which this is what people of color have to do just to take their career a little bit further because at the end of the day England or Great Britain is is actually quite a small island when you think about it and it's almost as if people of talent here don't really get recognized until they go elsewhere I don't know why that is maybe there has been like previous studies and think pieces that would suggest the reasons for it but I just find it kind of sad that you actually cannot be a major star just doing your own thing in your own city in your own country I know but that was the thing with Floatry as well wasn't it absolutely so really famously went to America and blew up absolutely and, and thank god back. they went to America because it's almost as if America's music industry appreciated them just a little bit more. I know. I know. Yeah, it's sad. It's sad. <laughs> I mean, what do you have to do here to be to be recognized? What do you have to do here? In you order have to, to have to masses. You have to have connections. <laughs> sad but true. You just you have to have connections. Connections with people in high places. And sometimes you have to be willing to sell your soul to the devil. Well, so that's not the case in America. Is it yeah. just like a, an open, more open playing field in America? They've just got a wider market. And I think there's sure. more more money being pumped into into the entertainment industry over there than there is here. So there's more chances for people to have a chance. Sure. Sure. And I guess different cities, the way that different communities are made up, you can find your niche very easily. Definitely. In different states, basically. Different areas of different states. What do you think about Adele winning Album of the Year? Well, she said it, innit? Yeah. <laughs> but everyone's you know, talking about how... When she oh, said, Beyonce, you're the peak. artist of my life. <laughs> oh, my God. And Beyonce was so lovely about it. At first, though, Jay, did you see Jay-Z's face drop? Like, he was confused. about to be some Kanye-type... Taylor Swift situation, but no, I think I think Adele handled it as graciously as she could. Beyonce was, you know, crying obviously in response. Well, she is heavily pregnant and emotional. Of course, she's gonna cry. (laughs) Exactly, but um, I think that was the one that Adele broke in half. Yes, I saw an image of her breaking the Grammy in half. Apparently, she's gonna share it with Beyonce. I don't know if that was if that's true. She's actually really gonna share it. Um, however, but, but, I did see I did see like a little bit of criticism towards the fact that she mentioned my black friends as if to say it was some sort of tokenism. But I think that's just coming from people who don't really understand the uh, like the racial dynamics in working class England. Um, Adele is from South London. <laughs> she does have black friends, <laughs> and if. Lemonade did empower her black friends. I feel like she has every right to say that and express that to the world. Yeah, 
and I'm sure as she's as it's coming out her mouth, she understands this could be awkward. Mm-hmm. It was a conscious decision she made yeah. to say that. You know, the other thing she got criticised for though is um, I think someone's calling it Adele has reached peak white ally, where she's like calling out this stuff, but she still accepted the award anyway. And they were kind of criticising her for even accepting the award. She didn't. She got on the stage. She did turn it down. Yeah, she took the physical award. Yeah. But she, she announced that be- on the Grammys, on that stage, mm-hmm. I shouldn't have won this. It mm-hmm. should be Beyonce. And I think even afterwards, in interviews after, she's saying, like, what the fuck does she have she to have do? She to do to win. What does she have to do? Like, a lemonade was an amazing piece of art. Really well thought out, like she said. It, it, it was a movie. It was basically a movie with a soundtrack. Exactly. And they still wouldn't give it to her. It wasn't good enough still. So, Well, here's the thing. Someone said to me that, and this is someone that I work with closely, they said they felt that Adele... Adele is it 25 or 26? What's the name of the album? 25. They said they felt that 25 deserved album of the year because it actually sold more than Lemonade. Ah, that's true. However, that is, that's actually a very fair point. But if you look at the quality of work that was produced by Beyonce and her team for Lemonade, it is incomparable. Absolutely incomparable. I mm. feel like Beyonce should have won Album of the Year just for effort, just based on effort alone. Yeah, because also, I mean, Lemonade, and there's, there's, no, there's no two ways about it, Lemonade was for black women. Mm-hmm. That's what Lemonade was for. And, that's, that pro- and sense, that's probably why it, alienated, it didn't win. Yeah, it yeah. alienated a lot of what her usual audience might have been. Um, you know, Adele's 25 was not a political statement. Mm-hmm. It's kind of middle of the road. She's an amazing singer, but it's not going to offend anyone. Lemonade did offend people. Lemonade was I alienating. I don't even understand. Maybe there's a whole bunch of men who feel personally victimised because <laughs> they have been philandering and they're like, nah. You know, I can imagine, like, all the white men on the Grammy committee who are like, no, we're not going to give Beyonce album of the year because I personally feel victimised by her calling out um, men who philander in relationships. Maybe, maybe. Who knows, who knows? That discussion could go on forever. It it was not as easy a listen, I guess, for some. You know what, even for me, I don't even, I don't personally enjoy listening. As much as I appreciate Beyonce's talent and I, and I think she's amazing, Lemonade is not an album I actually really, truly enjoy listening to. Just because there's a lot of darkness and there's just some really serious things that she's singing about. And for me, most when I listen to music, I want to feel elated. I want to feel joyous. I want that dopamine rush. I don't necessarily always want to listen to things that are just like really sad and dark. Sure. And it is, yeah, for a large... There are pick-up moments, really kind of, like I say, empowering moments. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for the most part, it's pretty dark. It's a the dark visuals album. are quite dark as well. Everything about it is... It's, te- it's testing you a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's a bit testing on the emotions. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms of like what, what Adele said, the cultural impact, you know, she brought it out in Black History Month in America... And it felt very political. <laughs> she and she even announced her pregnancy on the first day of Black History. <laughs> people from Beyonce is not paying attention, you know. She is paying attention. She's paying full attention. 
She let she you see is. those twins on the first day of Black History Month, which which um is soon to become African American History Month, if I'm not mistaken. Oh really? I didn't know that. Asian Orange Face, aka Trump, <laughs> wants to change the name from Black History Month to American African American History Month. For why? For why anything? Why does that man do anything that he does? Bloody hell. I mean, what did he... What? It's Black History Month. It's always been Black History Month. Are black people in America complaining about it being called Black History Month? Because I know they do, they do have different ways of referring to themselves as African Americans, obviously, in America. Yeah. But, but there are some... A lot of... There's a large majority of Americans that are quite contentious towards that that identity as being African American because clearly their ties to Africa were severed and that was not their choice. So right. they just want to be identified as American or black American. Black American. So then what's he changing it for if that's the case? That, that's, that's, I don't know. I just think I just think he just likes to do things because he doesn't really know what to do. I know. He's I mean, doing he's so much. He's doing so much, it seems. But it's like nothing has any real kind of planning. Mm-hmm. Some of it's illegal. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's just, he's flailing his arms a lot and not really hitting the mark. That's he's, what it seems like at the moment. I, I have a feeling that something's going to happen and he's going to get impeached at some point. <sighs> Needs to. I but anyway, um, anyway, but in, in terms of Beyonce and the baby and Black History Month, the imagery... The imagery of, of the the um, performance. No, the, the performance is amazing. The, the, the imagery of the performance, the whole nine minute. Who gets that? Who gets yeah. nine minutes on stage at the Grammys? Yeah, and who and gets to defy gravity by leaning back <laughs> <laughs> on the chair with the with the babies kicking in the stomach? Did you actually see how someone managed to zoom in when she was um, in the in the middle of leaning backwards? Someone zoomed into her belly and you could actually see the babies kicking. Really? It's one of I the weirdest, look for that. One of the weirder things I've seen on the internet today. <laughs> the baby's aggressively kicking her stomach while wow. she was leaning back. And singing. Yeah. Wow. How dare Sam, is it Santana? The, the guitarist says she's... Yeah. Carla Santana. I just saying how she's not a singer. I don't understand. Like Beyonce don't have all the vocal receipts. How dare he? And Adele won because she's a singer. Yes, Adele is a singer. Do you know what? Maybe it has so something to do. Maybe he's just always seeing her in these leotards and dancing on stage, and he's thinking she just dances on stage and she's not singing. But this woman, if there's anything that she does best and well, it's singing. So I just don't understand where that's coming from. But then he came back to retract the statements and say, "Oh, what I said was taken out of context." Blah, blah, blah. Beyonce is a talented singer. He's actually performed with her before. Yes. They to be opening his mouth and saying that. Yeah, like, what the hell? Shady, 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 shady shit, man. No, that was disappointing. <laughs> Very. Um, and I actually like Santana. I think Santana's an amazing musician. I actually really like his music. And for him to have said that is really disappointing. Really made me like feel like, okay, well, I don't want to listen to your music if you're just going to be spewing that sort of uh, hatred in the music industry. I know. I mean, you don't have to... 
you can like Adele's album without saying basically, you know, he didn't have to say Beyonce is not a singer. He didn't have to say that because she's dancing while she's singing. She's not a singer. Like, don't be, uh It does seem hateful, but it's, it's, I guess it's a similar criticism of, of Beyonce and her, her pregnancy pictures really as well. And the whole thing about, you know, many women have been pregnant, obviously. Many women have shared pregnancy photos. Mm-hmm. Beyonce sharing her pregnancy photos seems to have caused this visceral, hateful reaction in so many. Why does she think she's like some kind of goddess? Why yeah. does she think she's like... Um, um, the, it's, I think someone described her to me as Mary. She thinks she's like Mary or something with the head, the head covering and all the rest of it. So I thought it was more kind of, I don't know, like Renaissance kind of... It looked like kind of all this trashy renaissance kind of art, like Venus de Milo or something. That kind of, it had that kind of look for me. I didn't see kind of religious connotations of it. I Never did more... I. And I felt the reason why she probably did this is because for the first, for the first time round, yeah. she was so protective. Maybe it's because it was her first child, but she was so protective mm-hmm. of people being in her business And also all these criticisms towards whether she actually carried the child herself. Mm. Maybe that just made her feel like, well, y'all don't even deserve nothing. (laughs) You don't deserve to be in my private life. So maybe this time around she was like, okay, well, you know what? I don't don't care as much to to be so private. I'm going to share these photos with the world because I want to share my joy I want to share my happiness with the fans and the people that are in this with me Mm. and I remember just seeing the photo and I just felt like really happy for her yeah really really happy for her like I even know her as a person I don't know the woman but (laughs) I just felt really happy that she's having she's she's expanding her family I know and it's it was shared in a beautiful way. All the images are, are really beautiful, really kind of, um, uh, I don't know, just, I, we don't see, we don't see many mainstream, like, beamed out mainstream black motherhood. We don't see that. We actually really don't see it. And I think... At all. All these white feminists that are taking things too personal and just making everything about them always want to sort of interject on the conversation of black womanhood and the celebration of black womanhood. Mm -hmm. Not everything is about you. Not everything is about trying to take your space. In a way, black women in America are really trying to fight and reclaim their own space. And it's just not, it's just not being received well by people who don't understand and it's really sad that Beyonce has sort of become this, um, sort of like a scapegoat in a way. Yeah, she's an easy scapegoat because I guess she's so. She's popular, just like a yeah. She's just an so easy visible. target. Yeah, she's an easy target for all the people for everyone's frustrations about things. Like leave the woman alone. She is a human being like everybody else. But no, she's completely unaffected by this. It's not. It's not going to ruin her day. And she made a point of, you know, during her acceptance speech for the, you know, Urban Contemporary album, mm-hmm. which is never usually televised. He made the point that it's never usually televised. I'm thinking it must have contractually had to be um, basically agreed. Yeah, Beyonce's going to get on stage to to accept her award and it's going to be broadcast. 
because she had the gold, you know, the gold envelope ready, the gold um, backing paper ready to read her statement about the images she's putting out, the need to be able to provide a mirror, first of all, to her own family of, you know, blackness, making them feel proud. She wants to see it in the White House, in the Olympics, on the Grammy stage. She's making a point of of building this image and, and projecting this image and providing a mirror for her children. And if that provides a mirror for other little black children as well, then that's obviously a win in itself. But she recognises the, the way that her... representation. Yeah. And also in terms of the way that her daughter's image was trashed as well. Oh, People my talking God. About the, the way the little girl looks, sexualising the way the little girl looks. Oh, didn't you think she's going to look like Beyonce and instead she looks like a... Amber saw a post. It's, it's the most offensive thing ever. Someone in my friend's... Um, someone in my friend's list posted it. Like, it was funny. And it was like, oh, didn't you think that um, Blue was going to look like Beyonce and instead she looks like um, a butch lesbian convict or something like that? Whoa, like, whoa, whoa. She's like five. How can you be sexualising this little baby like that? And I, I blocked that person. I deleted them. But that you know, Blue's image has been trashed for for such a long time and you're, yeah. you're trashing the image of a little black girl. And then even when you think about the a things that they're child. trashing, the things that they're trashing Blue for are things that are directly linked to blackness. The hair, the way her nose is, the fact that she has her dad's nose and she looks like her dad. Like, it's so much anti-blackness yeah. in the way that she was being trashed let alone her being a little child exactly but the thing is that on top of that the representative the, the only reflection that you know is is in the mainstream and being talked about so much is is this negative view of blue's image mm -hmm. that's the only mirror she has of herself it's the only mirror a lot of black kids are getting basically in in terms of on television and popular culture and Beyonce is basically actively trying to build the alternative and build the build the the glorious image instead. Mm -hmm. um, and I just I always think of that. I mean, it's a really important thing for me when I think back to my childhood. And think back to um, you know in, in the UK, the images of black people that I got on TV, you know things like Desmonds and all the rest of it, just a normal family of a barber shop. Yeah. But then other than that, it was like ITV News talking about some kind of black and black crime and Trident investigating and yeah. these, that, that, that negative stuff really stuck with me. So then seeing the likes of Linford Christie competing in the Olympics was really important to me as well. Mm. He's a man like my dad. And, and seeing this black man on TV winning, it was really important to me. And it, but they weren't, it wasn't multifaceted. It was very kind of specific, controlled things that you did get to see. And I just kind of think like... You know, the only things that don't have a reflection are like demons. Only demons don't have a reflection. And it's, it's, it's you're demonising the image of black kids, of black people, and in them internally, it's like, well, I, I don't exist. I'm not worthwhile. You know, get to see that kind of... It, was, it really affected me as a kid. Um, and I, I'm not in, entirely sure of how I got through it before the internet and came out on the other side li loving myself. I'm not entirely yeah. sure how it happened. Because um, it, it did happen before the internet. I remember I had natural hair before it was a big thing on the internet. I just decided one day perming is not, not for me. Yeah. And it felt like a really big effort. And I'm not really big into like having this effort with my hair. 
but it was it was difficult I got teased for it mm-hmm. and I don't know I just in my mind I was like it doesn't feel right that I'm being made to feel ashamed of things that naturally occur on me and that was an internal thing before the internet even started of its communities natural hair communities or kind of you know black pride type communities that was a thing that happened internally for me somehow I don't know what it was my family's not particularly like pro-black and pro my features or anything I don't know where it came from basically but beyond maybe actively trying to provide that maybe it came from the people that you were hanging around with maybe you had friends I had friends who who did not focus on that definitely right but it wasn't like actively like but this thing you have is amazing. It wasn't like that. Not when I was really young. It really definitely, we weren't thinking about race in that way. Mm. And I, I wasn't thinking about race in that way. But for some reason, I actively started just loving myself somehow. I don't, I don't, even, I don't understand what the process was. But I know it had nothing to do with what I saw on TV. I didn't have anything to do with the internet because it wasn't really like there for me yet. So I understand why Beyonce made a point of, of stating that on stage. Well, speaking of Beyonce's child, um, there is another special, very important person who is bringing a child into the world very soon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I am. You are. I'm six months pregnant. I want to publicly congratulate you on the podcast for for being preggers. Congratulations. This is so exciting and I and I really sort of understand what you're saying because you are speaking now with the mindset of you are going to be a mother to a child who is definitely going to need that sense of affirmation in the world that you belong and that your looks matter and that your looks are just as beautiful as any other beauty standard out there. Do you think that becoming a mother has changed the way you not only look at images, but just just the way that you look at women and our represent black women and our representation in general? I don't think it's changed the way I look at it because I've the feelings I've had about blackness and especially, you know, women and the way that they're viewed. I've, I've held these feelings for a long time. Mm. Um, but in terms of the implementation of it, I now have to actively be able to construct something like that around my daughter without, you know, causing her an issue of being so aware of it, but just making sure she's protected from these things that don't, like you say, affirm her own beauty and don't aff- um, don't reflect who she is and her culture and her background and give her a sense of understanding its place within the world. And I have to now actively think about that for someone else. For myself, I don't know, I, maybe it was just like a hard-headedness and like a stubbornness of like, no, I'm wonderful. I, I don't know if you tell me anything else. But I need That's to, a good quality to, to have. To, yeah but for her it's I need to be able to to build that without causing her issues maybe I will maybe I'll I'll make mistakes I don't know but it's something I have to really start thinking about and I don't know I don't quite know how to do it I'm a bit scared about that aspect of things 
There's always I, I that fear. Yes. There's always that fear that some parents have. This like, what do I do if my child comes home from school because, and she's upset and crying because someone told her like she's ugly or something. Like, how how do I protect her from like these little things? Yeah, because I remember there even, was. I remember or even just being at on, school, I, even just being at school and not seeing any like seeing loads of toys that look like the other kids, and maybe not seeing any toys that look like her. Exactly, even that stuff exactly. is, an, uh, is a very subtle. You know, a, a very subtle effect on a kid. It might not be obvious. She might talk about it. It might be something that she just holds in her subconscious for a long time, and it manifests later on. And I won't even know about it. So it's scary. It's scary. Yeah. What were you going to say? Sorry, I interrupted you. Oh, I can't really remember. I think maybe I was going to say something to do with that may have happened as a kid to me yes I think you're starting that yeah yeah but I can always remember my parents always saying like they don't know what they're talking about you're really pretty girl like my parents always used to say that to me and I'm glad they did that they did say stuff like that to me but my parents would be like look if anyone wants to say anything about you just you know don't listen to them just know that you're you're a gorgeous girl Oh, wow. I think little things like that's really important. Yeah. Yeah, little things like that's really... It can really, really change your self-image. So I think as long as she can always go home and feel loved and know that her parents see her as that, you know, princess, just just someone who is valued, that's probably going to trump every thing else going outside going on in the outside world you like to hope but that stuff is powerful still i can't i can't disregard the stuff that happens outside um so i just you know i I can't be hard on myself about it as well i'm aware of it it's something i'm thinking about and i just need to make sure that yeah i'm a support and i can be supportive as i can be supportive as i as i can be also talking to other black friends, mm. you know, other friends who, who are raising black children as well. Mm. Luckily, like Danny. a lot of my friends, yeah, luckily a lot of my friends are raising black children and and they're raising them in ways where, where I see it, where I feel like, wow, this is, this is really, your, your child is, just seems really robust and really kind of um, capable of, of handling what they're experiencing. And I just... I um, I think the main thing is learning from others too, taking mm-hmm. on board how others do that kind of stuff, and it's going to be a journey. I just I know it's going to be I don't quite know what to expect yet, and I know it's going to be a journey, but I'm looking yeah. forward to it. I'm looking forward to 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 hopefully impacting this young being, this person, and building them up to be able to just cope in this world, cope and surpass it. Yeah. I want. Yeah. I think I I think you'll do an amazing I think you'll do an amazing job. I mean, if you are anything like how you are as a friend, as a mother, I think you'll be amazing. Because as a friend you're just you're very mature, you're very cool, calm, collected, and you're just very just very compassionate about things in general. And I think that's just who you are as a person and that will definitely translate towards your parenting skills you're just going to be like that really cool caring mum but that Jamaican side will still come out 
<laughs> when your child is acting up and I know that you won't ever let them run around like a demon in these streets please prom- <laughs> promise me that you won't let your child run around like a demon in these streets <laughs> I'll try definitely I'll try but you know what you know what you're saying about me but I have to say also the friends that I surround myself with as well the friends I surround myself with I, I do feel like they also and they're from different backgrounds but they mm also will be conducive to the development of my of my child as well mm, um, it definitely also, takes a village yeah and I, I think I, I don't sur- surround myself with people who hold you know ideas that are, are not even like different to mine but people who who wouldn't push just hideous ideas on me or my kid I, I know I don't surround myself with those kind of people and if, I, if, if they ever did say something out of turn or something that I didn't agree with, I know I can have conversations with these people. I, I'm, just, I'm not friends with dickheads, basically. That's what I'm trying to say. I ain't friends with that dickheads. Is, that's a good so way I'm, to I'm really trusting. I'm really trusting of how they behave and the compassion they have for me and my situation. You know, I, I'm, I'm really trusting in that as well. So I'm not too scared about the people I surround myself with and the friends I surround myself with. So I'm looking forward to it. I feel like I have a lot of support around me and a lot of help. So it's it's going to be a challenge, obviously, but I'm going to have support, definitely. And you're kind of also blessed to have, have, have a sister that already has children. That's true, yeah. Because, you, because nothing seems strange and new to you. Like, I, for me, I don't have any sisters. And... And I think that not having any sisters sort of terrifies me even more. Like, you know, just the thought of having children. Because I don't have, like, anyone to look to that is sort of in my age range that I can say, okay, well, I know what to do. I know how to go through things. I know how to handle this and that. I mean, I only have friends that have had kids, but I don't have any, like, close... Actually, apart from aunts, that's different. But that's different. It's when you have a sister that I feel like you can have someone to hold your hand through many, many things. No, I think I I think that anyone who you're close, any of your friends that have had it, you know, kids already, had babies already, they'll also be a help to you as well. And it doesn't have to be family. Family isn't the only thing. The, the people you build around you as your family also can be a huge support. So I wouldn't I wouldn't just disregard I'm not disregard, but I wouldn't just say it has to be a family member. You can get that support from anyone. I'll definitely be there. Oh, definitely. You're going to be my baby's second baby mama. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, um, yeah. speaking, of, speaking of family and support, mm-hmm. um, I think it'll be really good to touch on different ways that one can look after themselves and be caring towards themselves in this era of post Brexit and and Trump. Um sure. I know that I personally I don't really like to talk about politics at all. If I can avoid it, I'll avoid it. But I think it's also very important to touch on why we need to be extra conscious about self care routines and mind preservation in such trying times. 
if that means locking off social media or just not engaging in conversation with people who like to bring up topics of politics often. Shutting the, just shut conversations down. Sometimes that just needs to happen in order to feel good, in order to feel safe and just to stay sane in these times because it is crazy times we're living in. Mm. You know, it, I, and what you say about whole, the whole shutting conversations thing down, um, a friend of mine I went to uni with She's a, a like a professional singer, and I think she was travelling and met been for work. She might have been on a cruise ship or something like that. And this woman just started talking to her all of a sudden about um, police brutality. It was, a, it was a white woman speaking. She's a mixed-race woman. She's mixed between Jamaican and Turkish. Um, and just started speaking to her about, out of the blue, about um, the figures for um, police brutality, uh, basically blue on black crime being disproportionate and blown out of out of uh, the um the reality basically is the, the reality of the numbers was being blown out of proportion um and like she didn't start this conversation the woman was not trying to hear her other side she was just trying to say this at her so this woman was just, just trying to say this at the this girl from my uni um and i guess maybe the girl from my uni was being polite or something she didn't really challenge her on it I think she kind of tolerated it a little bit, but it's like, that's the kind of thing you don't need to tolerate. You're on holiday or wherever, or you're traveling, trying to enjoy yourself, and someone's bringing up this stuff to you because you're a brown person mm-hmm. that's like in their eyeline mm-hmm. out of the blue. It had nothing to do with anything that was being said. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I understand this shut down. You don't want to have to talk about that kind of stuff all the time. It's, you know, you haven't started the conversation, you haven't initiated it, you're not really being particularly forthcoming in it. So why is this person still trying it with you? Almost like, get a reaction to that's usually what people just, want they want yeah they want to they want to be heard they want their stupid points to be heard and they want a reaction like i remember like there's times in the past where people when when people when uh people talk about like you know like my family's religion and stuff and then when is- islam comes into the conversation people always want to know what my thoughts are about isis and personally i don't even know anything about isis because <laughs> because I don't know. I don't watch the news. I don't read the news. I don't really care to know. I understand. I know what what ISIS organization is about, but I don't understand it to a point where I can really explain it to another person. Um, and I don't really like to engage in in polit- political discussions with strangers because they don't really care for like boundaries. They just want to. They just want to talk about all sorts of things. And all these things can be very triggering. So I don't want to be triggered by strangers. And I don't really want to talk about politics. Because there's so many other amazing, interesting, stimulating things that can that can be spoken about besides politics. Yeah, they're not being empathetic when they engage you in this conversation. They don't they don't care what your feelings are in this exactly. situation. They don't care how it affects you. It's almost it's as almost they're just trying to gaslight you. Board. Yeah. It's a sounding board. Something for them to talk at. So... I do agree that they need to shut things down. I think also, though, I think I haven't experienced a whole lot of a whole lot of stuff to do with this post-Brexit, post-Trump period, only because I don't use public transport as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to deal with too many people from too many different backgrounds unless I really choose to yeah. um, on a daily basis. Also, my boss is black. And the majority of my team is also black as well. Mm-hmm. There are other, there are people from other backgrounds too, but once again, 
and maybe it's the area that I work in, it's not like I'm having to have these hugely opposing views. It's not because I don't want to be challenged, but it's just because I don't want to deal with this topic at work. I don't want to deal with this topic while I'm trying to enjoy myself or trying to relax. I don't have to deal with this topic. If I choose to go to some kind of discussion where they're talking about these these themes, that's different. But in my day-to-day life, I don't want to have to engage with it, but I have to, basically. Definitely. So I, I do kind of feel like I'm in a bit of a bubble, personally. And I feel quite... I feel able to turn off from these topics around Brexit and these to- topics around Trump. Um, that's not to say that everyone I work with necessarily voted one way or the other in, in the Brexit, but I just, I know I don't have to. I know around people who care about me and who are sensitive to how I feel about these things. Um, but I can imagine being on public transport that there's all kinds of things you might encounter that you can't necessarily control because it's a space you can't control. And that's probably where a lot of the, you know, in terms of the um, post-Brexit attacks that were happening, you know, racially kind of aggravated... Hate crimes. Um, ha- hate crimes or in- encounters or microaggressions... You know, I can imagine it happens a lot via public transport and via just being around a whole load of people. Yeah, like you know, just things like space. going going to maybe like football matches and stuff like that. Where you know there's gonna be lots and lots of like white men who who are empowered by being in gangs, and when they're like empowered in that way, and when they when they're intoxicated through alcohol, it can only go south from there. It can only go south. I just stay around large crowds of people and stay away from large crowds of people in general. I don't like being in large crowds. That's why I don't even really like going to concerts as much because being around that many people really triggers me. I just don't like it. <laughs> it's annoying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even Beyonce last year was quite scary for me because it was just so, so many, people. many people. But actually, as a crowd, it was a wonderful crowd. It wasn't yeah. too much of a problem. Not a huge problem anyway. Um, but I know what you mean. I mean, I'm not even... I know, I know I can imagine in terms of people's stereotypes and stuff. And it's probably a stereotype I hold. But I'm not as scared about seeing a bunch of black kids in my area as I am about seeing intoxicated white males on, on you know, travelling groups. I find that more scary than a bunch of black boys, basically. Absolutely. And I'm sure for others who are not from my background, who are not used to growing up around people... Um, from my background it's probably the other way around mm-hmm. you know but but no one wants to be on the train late at night with a bunch of white intoxicated males it, no one wants that even other white males don't even want that I've seen white men move away <laughs> from these <laughs> no I really have seen white men switch carriages because there's nothing more sometimes it's really frightening because you just don't even know things could go from zero to hundred. And I've seen things go from zero to a hundred in the space of seconds just because people are completely off their heads and you just don't know like what's and, gonna come around. But the also that seems to be a slightly more a culture with white British males than it is mm-hmm. around any other group of males. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it, it so that's for me something I'm very aware of and hooliganism as well in terms of hooliganism. And it all links to, like, the kind of... I'm not saying all football supporters are hooligans. Obviously not. And I'm not saying that... Um, but majority necessary. of them do have a sort of pack mentality. It's when they get together in large numbers, that's when just a whole different side of them comes out. 
Yeah, but also the the the, the way that hooligan, hooliganism links to right leaning ideas about race and mm-hmm. immigrants and immigration and and Brexit. You know, historically, football hooliganism was linked with the EDL Absolutely. and linked with the BNP and stuff like that. So those that culture kind of runs through it. Um, so yeah, in terms of, 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 like I say, dealing with people and, and having to engage with people like that, I, I think I've been quite lucky in that I, I don't have to if I choose not to. But I know there are people out there who are having to deal with this kind of thing and Every probably feel quite intimidated and, yeah. yeah. Like, I, my cousin, she works in the corporate world, um, corporate world of law, and she's constantly dealing with a, a ton of microaggressions from from white people who just don't have any respect. Like, for example, if something has happened in the news and it's happened within the black community, usually something negative, they always look to her for a response. Um, my cousin, she doesn't she have time for anybody. She'll just be like, um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> she doesn't engage. I mean, it gets I'm in her... I'm not the representative. Yeah, but she, she, does not, she does not engage. She will go to her desk and put her headphones in and get on about her business and do her work. She does not have time for anybody. And I actually really appreciate just how protective of herself she is. She's pretty amazing for that. But there are some people who are still trying to figure out how to navigate these... Um, these streets because yeah. <laughs> it's tough but yeah I mean to summarise I think that looking after yourself in these times is really crucial do what you need to do to to um, disengage to disengage and to feel to feel at peace whether that's even locking certain friendships off or muting certain twitter accounts or even mute in certain buzzwords on the internet, just just find all the protection that is necessary. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely agree with that. And I think that you don't have to worry about being selfish or, or not being able to, oh, what, you don't have an argument for me, that's why you have nothing to say. It's like, yeah, I, I don't really feel like engaging in this argument. I don't really feel like battling this out right now. I'm just trying to enjoy or get on with my work, enjoy my life. And if I choose to step into that kind of arena and have those types of discussions, that's different. I'm preparing myself mentally to do that. If not, please leave me alone. Like, really, I, I don't need to. Mm. I just don't need to. To bother with it, basically. <laughs> but in, actually, you know what? In terms of, like, you know, post-Brexit, like I said, I haven't had to engage with too much, but I actually did have an incident in Portsmouth around August time and I was driving with my friend my friend Nikki and we were driving to like the the, the, the local uh, shopping centre she was directing me and as I, it was like an intersection with a, a like another set of traffic coming through but there's only, there's only one guy on a bicycle and I was in the car with Nikki Nikki's in the passenger seat and Nikki is white um and I was driving along, and he went, he shouted into the car, get the fuck out! Like, just, like he's shouting at me to leave the UK, that's what it seemed like. Because mm-hmm. obviously I've, the, the I've Brexit election was in June, it was in June that it happened, and, mm-hmm. you know, and it, he could have been drunk, he could have been high, who knows what it was. 
Mm-hmm. But it's, that's the only thing I've experienced. And I have not experienced anything like that before the Brexit. That's the only thing I experienced since. You know, it, was in, it wasn't in London, it was in Portsmouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can only put it down to the Brexit vote, basically. You know, even before Brexit, I used to get this kind of bullshit all the time. I remember there was a time I went to Portsmouth and I was standing outside waiting for someone and some white men in a car just shouted the N-word at me just before the green light went on and they quickly drove off. But I've noticed that they'll only do these things when they can get away quickly. (laughs) They will never do this sort of thing where they are forced to be in a space with you where you can have the chance to confront them back they'll only do it when they know they can get away from you because they're chicken well that happened in Portsmouth yes maybe it's just Portsmouth this happened <laughs> pardon maybe it's just Portsmouth that happened in Portsmouth as well yeah this happened to me in Portsmouth I don't even understand but it's like but it's kind of like that anytime I leave London anytime I leave London I'm sort of on the outskirts of London or just go to another city I just don't feel comfortable. I don't mm. even know how people of colour can live outside of London. I really don't know how they do it. <laughs> because <laughs> I really don't feel comfortable. I don't feel safe. I always feel like people are looking at me a certain way. Maybe I'm being paranoid. Who knows? But I just don't like the way it feels. Wow. I Yeah, I think... I don't, whenever I've left London, like gone even like travelling abroad... I mean, I think I did told you about this. I had to travel for work back in October. And so I was with people from many different backgrounds. People came from all over the world for this this thing, basically, that I attended. Mm-hmm. And there were people from South Africa there, people from Germany there. It was amazing. It was a real mix of people. And the people I met from South Africa were talking about hair and stuff like that. Um... They liked my hair and I was, I was talking to them as well about like hair care stuff, which is my favourite thing to talk about. And then the, my interactions with most of the, the white people that were there from the different countries they came from, were really, it was really pleasant, it was really lovely, everyone was really open and accepting. But I had two instances of um, uh, people touching me without permission, basically, or attempting to touch me without permission, touch my hair, specifically... And this isn't, this isn't necessarily like a, a Brexit-Trump thing, but it's just like a kind of interacting in public spaces with people who are strangers and who are not necessarily so empathetic to your situation. It was... Um, she, she basically... This woman came up to me and she was like, oh my gosh, I want your hair. And as she's saying it, her hand is going towards my hair. Mm-hmm. And I literally had to, like, electric slide out of the situation <laughs> to avoid her hand touching me. And then her, you know, starting this conversation and starting this this whole act inspired a lady behind me from Spain. So the lady who tried to touch my hand, she was German. And the woman behind me from Spain started asking me questions about, does it keep you warm? Does my Afro hair keep me warm? And I was like, Are you no. an animal? Are I know. you Are you I like, know. are you a wild animal asking <laughs> if your hair keeps you warm? Oh and my I was God. Like, I had to say, no, I get cold like everyone else. Oh and then, God. so that was, that was that. We went off to our activities. Then on the coach coming back from that, I think it might have been another day actually, I ended up sitting next to the same Spanish lady we were talking and she was talking about the work she does with her organisation and it was lovely. Like, I've, I've, I really enjoyed talking to her. She's, you know, obviously just, she obviously 
is intrigued about the way I look and about you know, that's what that's what that was before she was asking questions about. It's like, oh, it's a black person trusting me to ask these questions. There was a lack of empathy and a lack of kind of understanding of how it let me feel, but I don't think she's necessarily a bad person. Mm. But then so all of these themes were going from I was like, oh she's alright. Then all of a sudden she asked me a question about my hair and as she asked the question she touched my hair and it just all of that was dashed immediately. My feelings I've been building about her, did like you, trying to did understand you, her. Did you stop to say um, usually when you touch another person, it is appropriate to ask for permission. You know what? I did. I was so disappointed. I just said nothing, and then I stopped the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I just I said nothing. I couldn't. It was so tiring. This doesn't happen to me in London. It happens, like you said, when you leave London, this madness happens. But it was so disappointing. I just said nothing after that. I actually didn't. I didn't confront her about it. I just stopped talking. Yeah, sometimes it's not even really worth it. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you just don't even have the energy to to bring that conversation forward. Like, why are you touching me? If I touched, <laughs> if I touched your thigh, would you not feel uncomfortable? So why is it okay to touch someone's hair? It's still part of your body. I know. It was so disappointing because I was really kind of after the initial comment she'd made about you know keeping warm. I was then after talking to her, I was like, oh, getting to know her. I was like, oh, she's all right. And then she asked the question and touched my hair. She asked the question and just ruined it. And I was just done. <laughs> I was done with trying with her. And sometimes, yeah, you've got to be done. You've got to cut people off and just mm-hmm. stop engaging. Mm-hmm. And it's all right. You'd have to be polite about it. She wasn't yeah. polite about touching me. I said, don't feel any way about it. <laughs> <laughs> no remorse was <laughs> No remorse. But, um, no, I just think, yeah, this post-Trump, post-Brexit period... It's, yeah, just important to remember, be selfish if you need to. Yeah, absolutely. And don't Engage let anybody you feel you, make you feel bad for disengaging. Yeah, exactly. That's our and, little bit of advice. <laughs> anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening to episode nine. We appreciate you listening. If you've listened all the way to the end, you are a star. Yeah. <laughs> Get a gold star for listening to the end. And then uh, we'll be back again soon for more chat. Um, we'll probably have a guest on or something. I don't know. Maybe we should switch it up and do something different for the next episode. Yeah, definitely. We'll look into it. Um, okay. And we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.